Welcome back to another week in the world of SaaS with Sasta and me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC at H Stebbings on Snapchat and brought to you by the one and only Jason Lampkin at JasonLK on Twitter. Now for the show today, I was speaking with Nick Mater at Gainsight and I asked him, of everyone in customer success, name three people who you believe to be the best. And immediately Nick stated John Herstein, Senior Vice President of Customer Success at Box. And so I'm thrilled to welcome John to the show today. And John has worked with some of the big biggest names in the tech world, including Accenture, Informatica, and most recently NetSuite, where he served as VP of Professional Services for North America and EMEA. Before NetSuite, John led the turnaround of Informatica's European consulting practice during a multi-year expatriate assignment, which eventually led to a 65% jump in revenue. And I have to say, I'm super proud of today's interview, and I cannot wait to hear your thoughts. But without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome John Herstein, Senior Vice President of Customer Success at Box. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. John, such a pleasure to have you on the official Sasta podcast today. Huge thank you to Nick Mater at Gainsight for introducing us, and thank you so much for joining us today, John. Thank you very much, Harry. It's great to meet you and uh, and to uh, have an opportunity to have this conversation. Now, I'd love to get started today by hearing how you made your move into the relatively new category of customer success and, and what that entrance looked like for you. Yes, I started my career about 25 years ago, and I, I went directly into consulting. So most of my career has actually been in the consulting world, starting with a company called Anderson Consulting, now known as Accenture. I then moved into consulting inside of a software company at a company called Informatica, which does data integration software. And then from there, my move into the cloud was going from Informatica to a company called NetSuite, which is a cloud-based ERP provider that's actually recently uh, it's been announced as being acquired by Oracle. And I spent about four years there before coming to Box. So what was interesting uh, for me was that my entire background was purely in consulting. And the role at Box was actually basically bringing together the support organization, a team that we used to call client services. And there really was no consulting organization at Box. And so the original conversation with Box was around starting to form that team. But we decided rather than making my role purely around consulting, that we bring all those functions together, put them under one umbrella. And then what's sort of interesting is that we actually made made up the title customer success. Now, we obviously weren't the people to invent that term, but we didn't look around the industry and say, well, what should we call this thing? We just said, what are we trying to accomplish here by bringing these functions together? And it was literally about the success of the customer. So we called it customer success probably five years after Salesforce had already coined the term. Um, But none of my background was actually in customer success. So it's been an interesting learning over the last five years here at Box. So how do you really then look to define customer success and its kind of then role and what it means for the world of SaaS? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, when I first started here at Box, the mantra that I went with, went with over and over again with my team was about customer delight. And it was all about, let's make sure that our customers are sort of delighted to be working with Box, to be using our product, to work with our, our service folks and so forth. And what I realized over time was that customer delight is actually not the same as customer success, and it's not sufficient. I think it's, I think it's necessary, but it's insufficient. And what I realized over time is that what you're really driving for is customer value um, with a sort of a dose of customer delight in there as well. And what I mean by that is a customer purchases your product not because they think you've got a cool company or a funny CEO or, or anything else. They're buying your product because they're, they're wanting to get 
a return on an investment, a business investment. They're trying to solve a business problem. And if they don't ultimately get that, then they will not be renewing with you, which is where the SaaS piece comes in. And I'll talk about that in a second. What it's all about for the customer is that they're spending money with you and they need to get a return on that investment. And that's where customer value comes in. Now, what I want from my customer success team is that the customer also has a very delightful experience when they engage with us as a company so that our people are friendly, they're helpful, they're looking out for the customer's best interests, et cetera. Um, but again, what I realize is that if customer delight is not is not the whole story. So we talk a lot about driving value for the customer, uh, making sure that they're getting the most out of the product that they bought. Now, why is this relevant in the world of SaaS? You know, in the in the old days, and I, I come from you know uh, implementation work around on-premise solutions. All of the onus for driving ROI was basically on the customer, right? That the customer would go through this very long process of an RFP, RFIs, RFPs, making a decision, and the implementation work and the cost of the software and the customization was pretty significant. And so the customer was making a decision that was going to last them for 10 or 15 years. And I was I was used to, you know, when I worked for Accenture, I was working with utility companies that were making 20 or 25-year investments, right, in the, in the software that they were buying. And so all the responsibility for whether that, that investment turned out to be a good one or not was sitting with the customer, not the vendor. And what's changed with SaaS, and I think it's a good thing overall, certainly for customers, and I think it forces vendors to be even better, is that onus is actually now on the vendor because the customer gets to make a purchasing decision not once every 15 or 20 years, but once every year or every two years, or in some cases every three years. So the, the, the responsibility now for making sure the customer is getting value actually shifts over to the vendor, which is why customer success has become such an, an important part of a of, of, of all SaaS companies. Would you say the customer delight element is really there for the potential for upsell and the customer support is for the retention? That's a good question. Uh, I think, yes, you, you could argue that. I think what, what drives retention, I believe, ultimately is the value. Right. So, again, if the customer's not getting value, they're going to look at that investment and say, well, why would we spend that money again this year if we didn't get the value from it last year? So if they're either if they bought a bunch of seats that they're not using um, or if they're using them, but they're actually it's not really solving the business problem they thought they would solve. Clearly, it doesn't make business sense to continue that engagement, no matter how delightful the experience is. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to. If the customer says, hey, I really love working with that customer success manager over at Box or, you know, the sales rep over there is really, really great. Love hanging out with that person or talking to them, whatever. I'm not getting value from the product. It just doesn't make sense. So I think that's a it's a, a reasonable way to think about it. I, I do think though, if you think about upsell, it's got to be more than it's got to be more than the delight piece. It's got to be you are bringing them something of additional value. So if you think about in 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 Box's case, um, you know our core product is a product for storing files and collaborating on files in the cloud. But we have now these add-on offerings that allow people to do more governance and, and rules and policies on top of their content. The customer has to see incremental value and buying those those additional SKUs. And I do think there's some responsibility in the customer success team to actually help the customer understand that. Now, that's different than selling. And I do draw a pretty firm line in my world between selling and the customer success function. I'd I'd love to hear more about the role then of of the sales versus the CS, particularly in the large accounts that you may hold at, at Box and how they partner then to drive potential expansion. Yes, this is an interesting area because that line um, can get a little bit gray. And and the way I sort of explain it to my um, my my customer success managers is if you have something of value to a customer, you shouldn't be embarrassed or shy about telling them about it, right? But again, that's different than selling. To me, selling is you know yes, it's demonstrating value, um, it's working through a a sales cycle, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also negotiation and closing and dealing with rejection and uh, all the things that salespeople 
people have to deal with. It's very different in the world of the CSM. And what I what I strive really hard to do here is not make CSMs feel like they have a quota or that you know their objective is to negotiate against the customer. Their job is to help the customer and make sure the customer is getting the most out of our product. And if if it comes to the point where yes, there's something additional that the customer could use that they would derive value from, we want to introduce that. We want to make an introduction to the appropriate salesperson and let the salesperson run the sales cycle. And I I like to keep those two things very 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 separate. It's probably important to talk a little bit about what how we define customer success, not in terms of you know the value piece that I spoke about earlier, but also just functionally, um, because companies do this differently. And what we've done at Box is we've taken all the post sale services that we provide to customers and put them under the customer success umbrella. So we have customer success managers, we have consultants, we have support folks that we call user services agents. Um, so it's all of those services combined together that are driving towards customer success, not just the customer success managers. And how important do you think that specialization is and fragmentation within the post-sales service, You know, whether it be onboarding to, to all the different sectors that we have post-sales? How important is that specialization to the effectiveness of customer success teams, do you think? Well, I, I do think there there are very different roles. Uh, what we do with our implementation team is around you know configuration of the product, understanding the use cases, uh, making sure that we've set things up properly, that we're thinking about security and groups and permissions and all those things that are important. That's a little bit different than what we want a customer success manager to do, where they're thinking maybe more broadly about use cases. Um, and then if you think about a user services function or what what a lot of companies call support, you know that's much more transactional, reactive in most cases, and so. Those skills wind up being very different. And in, in the early days, when you're a small startup, you know you can blend a lot of that stuff together. You can have CSMs doing all those things, and that's exactly what we did at Box. You know, we had CSMs who basically did everything from implementation to education to essentially dealing with support escalations and so forth. Over time, as you grow, I think as with any company that scales, you really do have to specialize because those skills become very, very different. But I think it's important for the customer's experience that they don't have to figure that out. In other words, they don't have to know like. Oh, well, if I've got this kind of question, I need to go to this person. And if it's this kind of question, go to this other person. You want to make that as seamless as possible. And I don't think that there's anything new about that in SaaS. Um, I think just from a general customer experience perspective, make it as easy as possible for the customer to do business with you. At what point do you think the specialization should occur? Is there kind of a a tangible uh, moment in the trajectory where you think specialization would be optimal? That is an excellent question, and I, I think it's it's one where there's not going to be a simple answer, unfortunately. I think what I observed in my own world was I started to see things like a CSM who was spending more than half of their time training admins on the customer side around how to use the product. And what I realized in sort of listening to some of those calls was that they were having the exact same conversation one admin at a time. Now, obviously, that doesn't scale very well. And so you start to think about, well, what if I had a person who only trained admins? It could train multiple admins at one time. Now the conversation that a CSM can have with the admin is not going to be on the basics of here's how you you know navigate the admin console, but what is your specific use case? What are you trying to accomplish with Box? How do we get you there? So I think what you're looking for is these sort of inflection points where your people are starting to do more and more of the same kind of thing that should be repeatable and scalable. And I think at that point, you want to start to shift it over to a specialist. The other thing that you find is that different people are good at different things. And it turns out that training people is a very specific skill and a very specific temperament. And not everyone is a good trainer. Even if they know your product really well, 
they might not be very good at doing the hard work of saying the same things over and over and over again uh, to just a new set of people. What does, and, your tra- what does your training process look like at Box? I'd be fascinated to hear. How do you look to train them in the kind of Box mantra? Got it. Okay, yeah. So so we go through, um, first, a, a pretty rigorous hiring process. Uh, Box tends to have a fairly collaborative hiring process, and we involve people who are not just the hiring managers, but also, you know, practitioners in the roles that people are being hired for. So they get a sense of how they would actually do the role day to day and so forth. So the first part of essentially training is, do we think they've got the right sort of jobs, the right sort of technical background, et cetera, to kind of come in and do, and do the job. Once they're here, we have a mix of formalized onboarding at a company level and then at a function level. And then what we do a lot of is shadowing. So we have people shadowing calls of other folks on the team. um, And then at some point, they'll kind of come back and do a presentation to their manager and peers. Um, That's essentially a mock customer situation. And we can kind of assess at that point, are they ready to actually take live customer, you know, calls, whether it's a a support call or CSM or whatever the whatever the role is. Um, So that that basic approach of training, shadowing, and then kind of repeating it back and kind of demonstrating that they're ready is very consistent across the team. Got a question from Nick Mater on starting the team and the team itself. And he says that you're renowned for prioritizing career paths for your team. How do you accomplish this and balance this with wider operational and strategic goals within Box? Yes, this is a, a really interesting area, and it's one where, frankly, we weren't always that great, and we, we had to get much better. And, and, and the thing is this, customer success jobs, um, I mean, I think you could argue oh, lots of jobs are hard. I think customer success jobs are really, really hard. Um, why are they hard? You, you are, in almost every case, the middleman between the product and the customer. And so there's a lot of situations where what the customer wants is not necessarily achievable with the product as it is today. And so you wind up in a lot of cases saying, you know, no to the customer, or, you know, let's find another way to the customer and dealing with things that you can't necessarily fix yourself, that you're dependent on other people. And that becomes a, a real grind, frankly, after a while, particularly if you're in a support type role where you're, you know, every single day you're dealing with those kinds of things. And so what we found is that it's a it's a tough place for people to be for a very long time. And I also think if you think about customer success as a, as a career, because it's still relatively new, there aren't a lot of models or examples that people look at and say, oh, there's a person who spent 15 or 20 years of their career doing customer success, and, and that looks like a viable career path for me. What we came to realize is that you have to give people options that aren't just moving up the ladder of customer success, because that might not be ultimately what people want. And so we've we focused a lot inside a box on this notion of what we call internal mobility, which is being very supportive of our people in customer success when they express interest in doing other roles inside the company. And what that means is that our managers are having proactive conversations with folks in in our teams um, about what they do next. Now, obviously, you can't do that three months into the job or six months in the job. We want people to have, you know, at least 12 months in the current role, ideally even more than that, because you have to kind of, you've got to come up to speed on the job. You've got to be productive in the job and you've got to show some commitment to the job before you immediately jump to something else. But when, when they've reached that point in their career where it's like, it's really time to do the next thing, we are supportive of that. And the result today is that there's probably at least three dozen people 
people inside the company in functions outside of customer success that started their career with my team. And we've put people into marketing roles, sales roles, product roles, engineering roles, basically everything in the company other than legal. And what's really cool about this is, you know, one, you're, you're supporting your people in terms of their own career development. Yes, it's a bummer. And to kind of your point about, you know, the operational piece, there is an, there is an impact of constantly exporting people to other parts of the business. But if you're thinking long term, here's the cool thing. We now have people who've been in customer facing roles sitting in every other function in the company. So now I've got product managers who have had the experience of dealing face to face with customers on issues as, as a pretty formative part of their career. And I think it changes how they think about their job, even when they're not in the customer success function. As you said, the, the customer success can be the middleman between the product and the customer. Do you think it's then very helpful to have a very product orientated background going into customer success? Hmm, interesting. Um, I think it's helpful. I don't think it's necessary. You know, if you look at the background of the folks that we have in customer success, they come from all kinds of different backgrounds. Some have been in sales previously. Some have been in support roles. Uh, some have come from product, although it's not the most um, it's not the most uh, you know typical thing that we see. I, I do think one of the things that we're hiring for is the ability to to sort of get product. You know, you, you've got to be able to quickly understand uh, a product, how it works the intricacies of it, because there's a lot of detail around, well, if I if I flip this switch, here's what the impact to the users is going to be. Those things are really important to understand. And I also think there's an element of being able to explain that clearly to a customer, right? Again, because you are the middleman, you know, there's a lot of that. Let me translate what the product does to what you're saying your business requirements are. If we can't do that well, we're not solving a problem for the customer. So it's not enough to just say, I'm a, I'm a master at the product. You have to be able to translate that for the customer into what they're trying to accomplish. And and Box has clearly done it very well, hence the insane hyper growth that we've seen in the last few years. And, and, and that's something that I do want to touch on in terms of the next phase as a public company and how the private hyper growth has affected the, the customer success strategy for you. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what's happened with us, you know, when I joined Box a little over five years ago, uh, you know, a very large customer customer for us at that time might have been spending, you know, $50,000 a year with us. That would be a, a big, big Box customer, maybe top five. Today, you know, we have multiple customers, many, many customers spending over a million dollars a year with us, um, you know, hundreds, certainly hundreds of customers spending sort of six figures with us, if not you know, if not more. And the the sort of the makeup of our customer base has changed significantly. So we now have, you know, CSMs who may be managing six, eight, maybe even $10 million portfolios of, of customers. And they have to be really thoughtful and really strategic and really able to operate at a higher level than just engaging directly with an administrator on a box account. And so the, you know, the, the expectations that we have of our customer success managers has changed. The complexity of the implementation work, work we do through our, our box consulting team has changed. And, you know, that that hasn't happened just because we went public. It's happened because the the, the mix of our business, the mix of our customers um, has really shifted upstream over the last five years. You know, we now have customers that we talk about very publicly, like General Electric and Procter and & Gamble and Schneider Electric and Aetna. Um, you know, we have to engage at a very different level than when we were dealing with much smaller companies. And so we're constantly thinking in customer success about, you know, our methodologies, our processes, um, how we 
we engage with customers, what what our roles look like, what our hiring profile looks like, and all that shifts over time. And to be honest with you, I don't think you're ever really done where you'd say, okay, we've nailed it, we figured it out. And, and I think it's important for, for smaller startups to be thinking about is the right answer for Box today was not the right answer for Box five years ago, and it won't be the right answer for you today either. And I'd love to dive into a quick fire with you now. Uh, 60 seconds faster. So I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? Uh, sure. Let's give it a shot. So let's go for what makes a great customer success officer. I mean, I think uh, honestly coming at the job truly with an appreciation for the customer, uh, honestly, is, is kind of what it comes down to. So I'm obviously a representative of the company. I'm a part of our executive staff here. I have to be thinking about what's in the best interest of Box, but I always have to be thinking about what's in the best interest of the customer. And there are times, and, and ideally there's not a lot of times, but there are times where those two things may conflict and you have to make the right decision. And ideally, in every case, you're making the right decision for the customer first and the company second. And um, what do you now know that you wish you'd know when you started? Wow, what do I now know? Well, I, I think it may, may go back to this question of, of delight versus value. And I, I don't think there was anything wrong with focusing on customer delight at the, at the beginning. But as, as I mentioned, what I learned over time is that the, that's just not enough. And so I think maybe if my mantra over the first year or two had been around customer value rather than customer delight, maybe we would have done some things differently. But as I look back on it, it, it seems like the things that we did at the, at the times we did them turned out to have made a reasonable amount of sense. And I don't think we made any big mistakes because we were focusing too much on delight versus value. Um, certainly one thing that I say pretty consistently is I would have started our consulting team earlier than we did um, because what we realized over time is that a lot of people think of our product as a really simple product to use and you don't think a lot about the implementation, but there's a lot of thought that has to go into change management and implementation and so forth. And I probably would have started that earlier. The biggest mistake that you see SaaS companies enacting today with their CS process I think thinking of it as just another arm of sales is probably what I'd be really careful about. And, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I do think there's a role for CS to play in helping to identify opportunities and that sort of thing. But I think what you're trying to build toward with your customers, if you're in customer success, is the notion of sort of the, the trusted advisor. And it's a term that I actually hate to use because I think any time a vendor says, we are your trusted advisor, they're actually violating the trust right off the bat because the customer gets to make that decision decision, not you, right? In other words, the customer decides that they trust you. And so I, it's a term I really struggle with. But I think at the end of the day, what you're trying to go for within the customer success function is the customer really does trust that you have their best interests in mind, that they're going to come to you when they're unsure of what to do next, or they think that maybe your product can help them solve a problem, but they're not sure. And they know they'll get an honest answer from you. Um, I think that's what you're going for with uh, with the customer success function. And if you, if you just think of it as, well, it's really just account management with a new brand, I don't think you're really going to get to the essence of what you're trying to accomplish with that kind of team. And then one from Alison Pickens at Gainsight, the right way to manage risk. Oh, proactively. I mean, there was someone early in my career who said something along the lines of, you know, uh, bad news early is good news. And what, what I mean by that is the sooner you understand that there's an issue, the sooner you can actually start addressing it. And when it comes to risk, it's almost never too early to flag a risk. And I can tell you in, in real world scenarios here, there have been cases where almost as soon as a deal was closed, we recognized that there was a challenge. Maybe it was that the customer wasn't engaging with you from an implementation perspective. And so the, the project was actually, you know, dragging along. That represents risk to us because what it means, going back to the value question, is the customer is not getting value from the licenses that they're paying for. That is a risk to our renewal. And so the, the, the best way to manage a risk is proactively 
early and often. And then I've got, don't worry, we're not in a quick fire anymore, but I've got two more to end the show from, from Nick again at Gainsight, who said these were absolutely empirical to ask you. So we've got first, John is one of the most talented CSM leaders in the industry and many, including me being Nick, have sought out his advice. What's the most common question you hear from CSM leaders? I think a lot of it has to do with how do you structure the team? You know, what, what are the, what are the functions in the team? What do you put in? What do you leave out? And I think one of the biggest questions people have is around the relationship between a CSM uh, and a renewals team. And what you'll find is that some companies put those functions together. Some keep them apart at box. We've kept them apart. Um, I think it's another one where there's not a single right answer. Um, What I would say again, kind of going back to some of the earlier points I made is that I would keep the explicit responsibility separate. I wouldn't have the CSM responsible for the transaction, the renewal transaction. But I do think that there can be value in having a renewals team part of a customer success organization. Um, But I think that's probably one of the more common questions is just sort of how do you structure a team? And again, how does that evolve over time? And then what's one innovative idea John has tested that might be shared with the audience vis-a-vis customer success? I think one of the biggest things that we've tried to figure out over the years is how do you do customer success at scale? And um, I think it's actually Nick who, who I've heard say, you know, a lot of companies have figured out how to do very high-touch customer success, right? You know, if you have a customer who's spending a million dollars a year with you, most companies have figured out how to make sure that customer has a really great experience. What's really hard to do is how to make sure a, a customer spending a thousand dollars a year with you has a really great experience. And so we've spent a lot of time with a, a, a team that we call customer advisory today. Um, which is really geared towards supporting, uh, helping to ensure the success of our smaller customers where we don't have the luxury of assigning a name CSM to those customers. And so how do you use tools and technology and process to make sure that those customers have an experience that's similar to what they would get if they have the name CSM, um, but when they actually don't. John, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today and revealing the inner structure of Box's CS team. So thank you so much for sharing that with us and for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Harry. It's been a pleasure. Again, I'd like to say a huge hand to John for giving up his time today to be on the show. Really was fantastic steep dive on the CS org at Box. And a huge thank you to Nick Mater at Gainsight for sending questions along with Alison Pickens at Gainsight and to Nick for making the introduction. And if you love the show today and do not want to leave the world of Sasta, then you can follow me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs, or you can follow Jason Lemkin on Twitter at JasonLK. Likewise, if you want to see more from Sasta with a whole host of podcasts, articles, resources, and Jason's writing, then head over to sasta.com, that's S-A-A-S-T-R.com, where you can find all the resources that you require. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we so appreciate all your support, and look very forward to bringing you Friday's episode.